0: this episode for those of you that uh, like to get dressed up you can really kill off a
1: business pretty quickly just with the wrong words that you know you could go to the nightclub and it wouldn't matter if you lost those earrings close to be a billion dollar or billion pound business it's total crap this idea of the fat cat making fun of the guy on the street so what do you reckon mark
0: yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds like a very good example of a good way to turn a big business into a small business. <laughs> so
1: in comes the shrimp sandwich, in comes the decanters, and there goes the business. Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi everybody, I'm Sean Callahan, and hi everybody, I'm Mark
0: Shank. And Sean, this week it's over to you for a bit of um, a bit of for those of you that uh, like to get dressed up. Dressed up, yeah,
1: I guess there's a bit of dressing up here. Um, I actually came across this story, don't oh know probably more than 10 years ago. It was sent to me by a friend in the UK, Victoria Ward, who's another great storytelling uh, practitioner. And, and as soon as I, I learned about it, it really got me thinking that you can really kill off a business pretty quickly just with the wrong words. The things that the leaders say, right? And it's about Gerald Ratner. And for our UK audience, uh, you will probably know Gerald Ratner. He had a, you know, CEO of a vast network of jewelry stores uh, across that country and and the US, I believe. So, but you know, for Ratner in the early years of his life, um, you know, he had a pretty tough upbringing. He he didn't get on so well at school, and so at the age of fifteen, his father sort of said, "Okay, why don't you join the the jewelry business?" And so, you know, he had his first experience behind the counter of their Oxford Street store, one of their flagships at the time. And, you know, over years, you know, I think he sort of kept his head down, but over the years he started to notice that their jewellery shops back in those days were quite stuffy, you know, and old-fashioned. You'd have to press a button, a bell to... To let the door be unlocked to get let in, and you know that everyone was watching you very, you know, with with, with such detail, and uh, you know it wasn't a comfortable experience for a lot of people essentially. And and he said, look, maybe we can appeal to a wider market. And he got you know his father on board, and and then and eventually he became the CEO of the company. And over a couple of decades, he built it into this behemoth of of the jewellery business that was really aimed at low price jewellery that, you know, you could go to the nightclub and it wouldn't matter if you lost those earrings, quite frankly. It's, it was that type of jewellery shop. And the company had grown enormously over the, those years. It was sort of doubling in size. It was, you know, it was a company that was, you know, very getting close to be a billion-dollar or a billion-pound business Uh, by the late 80s. And then in 1991, almost at the height of his powers, Ratner uh, was asked to give a speech. At that stage, he'd been given quite a few speeches about the success of the Ratner Group, right, which was what the, the business was called. And in this case, he was asked to speak at the Institute of Directors, you know, 1991 annual conference. It was at Albert Hall, Royal Albert Hall in London, You know, it was full of the wealthy and well to do, you know, with a smattering of royalty. Um, It was essentially all the the business people come to hear Ratner on his take on what to do when recession was starting to, to, uh, you know, to build. The economy was getting tough at that stage uh, in the early 90s after the boom of the 80s and and, you know, he'd given this speech a number of times and he, there was things he knew that made people laugh in this speech. And so he, you know, set forth giving the the talk he would normally give. And after a few you know introductory points about the types of businesses that he ran, you know, and all the different markets they, um, uh, you know, sort of addressed, he then zoomed in to the Ratna business the Ratna brand, which was the brand which was for, the people at the street level who just needed, you know, something of of low price that they could get as a gift or, you know, sort of wear out in a way that, they, you know, some bling that they could have that uh, they didn't have to worry too much about it. Uh, and he sort of says, Oh, you know, you know, we had these, he, he sort of has this joke, and he sort of says, Oh, we have this uh, lovely, you know, sherry decanter, you know, it's cut glass, you know, complete with six glasses, you know, silver plated tray that, you know, even your butler could come in and serve your drinks on. And you know what? It only costs four pounds and ninety-five, uh 95 pence. And people would say to Rat, they say, but how do you sell this for such a low price? And Ratner would say, because it's total crap. As he says this, everyone applauds, right? It's, you know, it's really interesting. You can watch this on YouTube. Uh, just type in the Ratner speech, it'll pop up. And you can see everyone laughing and applauding. Um, and he's got a couple of other jokes. He sort of says, you know, our, our uh, jewellery is, is less cost than a shrimp sandwich. And the shrimp sandwich would last longer. Well, you know, things like that. More laughter, more, more frivolity, et cetera. At the end of the speech, standing ovation. They love it. They love his talk. But right at the, as he's walking out of the venue, a, a journalist runs up uh, to him and says, uh, Mr Ratner, Mr Ratner, um, uh, aren't you just making fun of your customers? And it was this first inkling that maybe he said the wrong thing right anyway the next day in the big sort of headlines there he was you know crapner um you know gerald ratner you know says that his jewelry is crap and and they just continue on this 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 idea of the fat cat making fun of the guy on the street and his business uh just slid away they lost 500 million pounds worth of value in their business in a, like it was months. It was an amazing just slide to oblivion for them. Um, and, you know, they had to do everything they could to sort of stem the, you know, the losses that they had. Um, he put in a chairman, you know, to try to get some distance between, you know, the board and himself as the CEO. He, he tried everything he could. Um, but Within a year, he was fired uh, from the business. The business had to change its name, right? So they were called the Ratner Group. They changed it to another name because the brand was sullied so poorly just by by that speech and then then the ongoing uh, media frenzy that happened uh, after that. Um, Yeah, so he lost his um, $500,000 salary, all his perks, his houses, um, and... uh, got himself into a, you know, a, a situation all because of a couple of jokes that he made. Uh, just shows you what you say has a big impact on how people perceive you.
0: So what do you reckon, Mark? Mr Ratner? Yeah, well, that sounds like a very good example of a good way to turn a big business into a small business. <laughs> just give it to Gerald Ratner and wait. Yeah, I think they call it doing the Ratner
1: now. That It's actually become a verb. Uh, it's slipped into the vernacular. It has indeed. So, but doesn't it show you that you know here's a guy who would have been advised by you know comms people and PR people, and somehow they they let there'd be that whole thing about oh no, they can't really tell the CEO, you know, not to tell his jokes or or whatever it might be. I've seen that happen over and over again. Um yeah. I although I've yeah. heard Ratner tell, you know, like such an expanded version of that story. And he sort of says he actually had taken out the jokes. And a colleague of his, um, who he you know really trusted, said, No, 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 Gerald, Jared, your your jokes are the best bits. You've got to have those jokes in. So in comes the shrimp sandwich, in comes the decanters, and there goes the business. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I'd be picking up that point when uh, when we talk about how how you how you might use that story.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's something to do with respect, isn't it? But let's let's talk about what do we like about the, the story. What's what stands
0: out for you in that story, Mark? Oh, you know, like uh, at, from an Australian perspective, the, the the tall poppy getting their just desserts. <laughs> yeah,
1: we like one of those stories, don't we?
0: Yeah, 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 but also, you know, the fact that it's it was it's it's I. I I, I like it because it's disrespectful. And he, no, I like it because he got his just desserts. He right. was being disrespectful yes. and he got his comeuppance. Right, right.
1: Which doesn't always happen.
0: Does not. No, no, no indeed. No.
1: So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the nice thing about that story is that there's some very specific, concrete moments in it. Right, like the the sherry glasses. I mean, that is the moment. You know, actually telling those jokes. They were the moments where he went down. You know, the rest of the, the talk was a fairly ordinary talk around, you know, the ins and outs of running a jewelry business, right, and brand building. And there he was, thinking he was spicing it up with a couple of jokes to throw in.
0: Yeah, just a, you know, a bit of a bit of local colour.
1: Yeah, yeah. And see, unfortunately, the audience he had in that Royal Albert Hall, were nowhere near his customers, right? So they were the opposite to his customers. So when they were laughing and cheering and giving him a standing ovation, he was egged on by it.
0: Because right? yeah, they were all the fat cats going, yeah, yeah, yeah this, this, this is sort of guy.
1: This is hilarious, yeah. I mean, what he should have done is, is tried out his story with uh, his speech with people who were his customers, and they would have told him pretty quickly, don't you try that out,'t don't, don't,
0: you, don't you be doing that?
1: Yeah, exactly. So there's something about um, getting close, being in the shoes of your customers or something like that.
0: or having some empathy, yeah right, exactly. Um, anything else we like about it? Um, oh, the reporter running up, I like that. yeah, um, right, right, yeah, and that uh, that moment where he might have gone, oops, yeah. Yeah, I got a feeling that came quickly to him. I think the yeah. next day
1: his driver had the the mirror or something like that and just handed it to him. And he yeah. said he was he actually started shaking, you know, because he knew that this was this was worse than bad.
0: And so that I was gonna say, in terms of making it even better, like yeah. ending up that moment of realization where it was like, oh, know, yeah, where he yeah, yeah. So I can just picture the driver handing him the, uh, the, the, the mirror. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and the driver read didn't
1: box. say a thing. His driver didn't oh. comment on it. He just handed the paper over to him, which uh, apparently was a little bit different than normal. Yeah.
0: So. Oh. Yeah, well, maybe the driver knew that uh, he wouldn't be Help. driving very long.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or he'd be assigned to a different uh, executive. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anything else we can make it better? I think, um... no, there's certainly a shorter version you can tell in this, yeah. no doubt about yeah. that.
0: And uh, I, I think there's also a much longer version that you could tell. So in terms of the, the um, I don't know, the, if you were on stage and you were trying to uh, give an example of of the, the number of ways it, that you can go wrong with single uh, a single event. Yes, yeah, exactly. You could you Had could draw really out speech. a bunch of different lessons from that. Yeah, yeah, most um, definitely. That's no, good. Now, the, were there people saying different things than you know, like he's going, "Oh, we've got this," uh, you know, the, the sherry decanter glass, the 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 prawn sandwich glass, uh, yeah. a joke. Were there people saying different things? That he in what, be, what uh, sense, you know? Well, you mean, it, you mean yeah, like? No, in in terms of uh, giving him advice on how he might tell that speech and uh
1: oh yeah yeah there were a couple of of, you know because i was looking at an excerpt from a book that he wrote and he was so he's retelling that he was given different advice so he had advice from like the pr guru of the time which apparently was the woman that absolutely fabulous was modeled after can't think of a name at the moment Uh, and she told him look don't go down that line of, you know, the jokes and stuff like that. Actually be more like Anita Roddick and, you know, and uh, and her business, um, the body shop and, and, and be more about, um, you know, giving back and connecting with community and empathy, you know, and he heard that and he went, Oh, that's way too hippie for me. Right. Like, so he sort of disregarded that advice. Um, but the majority of his of advice he got were from people sort of saying, Hey, don't no, we like your jokes, throw them back in. So oh. it was kind of being egged on because he did think maybe I shouldn't use them Cause it was a pretty fancy pants, um, you know, venue and audience. And he wasn't too sure that he could say things like crap, you know, uh, you know, this product was crap. And so on that basis, he was, he was cutting out his jokes, but, one of his friends sort of said, no, 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 you should really uh, keep that in. And I think uh, the uh, the founder of Saatchi and Saatchi rang the next day and said, oh, I've read about your, your speech. It sounded like it went down really well. And, oh, this is PR gold for you. And da, da, da so they were totally off on the wrong radar as well. Wow. So it wasn't clear which way it would go until... I think the papers, especially you know the Mirror and the Telegraph and you know, sort of the, um, those papers got on a roll because yes, it the, a the classic, it a classic, of the sensationalism, classic, you know, I guess narrative of here's the fat cat going after the the little people and you know and how the little people need to fight back, and they did and uh, put him pretty much not out. Of, the company didn't go out of business. It came close to going out of business. Uh, but they had to change the name and get rid of him and, you know, disassociate as much as they could. And they built it back up again. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, what do you reckon? Where would you use a story like this? Um,
0: well, I, uh, going back to that, you know, the person who said, no, 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 put the jokes back in. Be careful who you, who you take advice from. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um and another one is just be aware of your audience. Yeah, well, I mean, he played perfectly to his audience, ah, and and that's and I guess that's the thing. Yeah, he was he thought these audience was the people in the room, but because the journalist was there and took it, and he he was actually talking to the world. That's what he should, he should have, have been it. thinking. That's what he should. And that's have been what thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: he, he sh- and he sh- and it's like, you know, you really have to put your Put yourself in the shoes of your customers and live their life and understand why they're buying your product. And, you know, you can't have that disrespect that he was showing. That's what he was, as you said before. And, um, yeah, that brings you down pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, and so he's, he's traded a laugh for, for credibility. Yeah, and, that's right. And, and what is a perfectly valid business model, right? Like, not everyone can wander into Tiffany's. No. So, and, but, but people want to look good. And so he was providing people who couldn't afford to wander into Tiffany's with a way of, of looking good and And and, feeling good. Yeah. And, and yeah. And so, and so that's a perfectly like legitimate um, business model. Sure. But then when, yeah, but then when he, he kind of derided like and and became a bit, yeah, smart ass about it. Yep. um, It just, it just came across as, this is just a a disrespectful way of trying to rip people off.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's it. flipped at that point, didn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Almost immediately. Yeah. yeah, I think they're, they're the, the points. And I think, you know, this idea of choosing your words carefully, you know, it's not so much choosing your words carefully. I think it's a mindset thing. You know, it's a mindset of really having empathy for your customers. And, you know, you know, I've had situations where, uh, you know, people will say, like, I, I remember going to a board, like a, an executive meeting. It was in a round table. It was like the nights of the round table, Mark. And I walk in and I'm trying to pitch them on this idea of something we're going to do. And their tagline or one, one of the things that they said to me, which is super important, was that the customer was at the center of their business, right? Anyway, so I'm sort of saying, you know, I'm linking everything to the the customer being at the center of the business. And I can see a few people around this round table kind of rolling their eyes. Now, this is the executive. And so I stopped, you know, in the middle of my kind of presentation. And I said, look, I've noticed that when I say customer at the center of, you know, of everything we do, I'm sort of getting some, you know, funny looks. What's that all about? And then the um, someone jumps in and goes, Oh, that's just a marketing tag. It's oh. like a tagline. And I, I said, Oh, so you don't actually believe that, <laughs> you know, this and I so that's the stuff that makes business look bad, right? It's this this whitewashing that they do to make them sound like they're, you know, sort of really caring about their their customers when in fact they're just doing it so that they can say that oh, I, it makes me mad when i when i oh, see yeah. that happening yeah.
0: right and, um, and just I, th- I think firstly about the reputational risk that that is caused when people actually discover that but also i also what about the people working that organization yeah I remember back in when i did my first degree back in like 1979 when i started Goodness, that's a- was it
1: eighteen seventy nine? Did you say?
0: No, no. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> uh, cognitive dissonance. I think it was Leon Festinger. Anyway, uh, cognitive dissonance when what you hear is very different from what you experience, and 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 how it's a, a really it's a it's like poison in an organisation. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and so the gap between what they're hearing the leaders say and what they're seeing the leaders do. you know they are do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Type of approach to leadership uh, is is uh, d- hugely uh, detrimental to a business, and so you might get away with it in the short term, like from a oh it's a marketing ploy, but man, it would uh, it would be poison for your employees. Oh, it's
1: yeah, definitely, most definitely. Yeah. Anyway, so um, let's give this one a rating, Mark. What do you reckon? Could you tell a Gerald Ratner story?
0: I could. I, I think I would tell a, a much like a shorter version of it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Most to definitely. make to make the point, but uh, the fact that there's so much impact, I think adds a lot of value to that story. Yes, yeah. Like, you know, he made a he he really didn't care. He made a bad error of judgment. It cost him the business. Yeah, huge. Anyway, yeah. so I'm gonna I'm gonna give that one a seven. Seven.
1: Yeah, I'm, you know, for me, I think uh, for me, it's probably a seven as well. We're getting it, it sits right in the middle of our
0: normal distribution, right? Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Useful story to have in your kit bag. Probably not one you'd use every day. No, no, but it's a good one.
1: Terrific. And thanks to Victoria Ward for putting me, um, well, you know what? Uh, So, Victoria put me onto it ages ago, and I noticed just recently. An episode of Cautionary Tales by Tim Harford um, also talks about this episode. But Ooh. he makes, he, so it's a really interesting, yeah, we'll put it in the, um, the show notes, but uh, so his podcast also makes a link between that and um, the I Have a Dream speech. Right, it's like I suppose the opposite.
0: The opposite, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, they're both improvising in some ways, right? I don't know if you know, but some of the best parts of the "I Have a Dream" speech, Martin Luther King's speech, were improvised, sort of improvised on the day, right? Because the short, short, very short version of it is he's telling the speech. He can tell he can tell that he's not really uh, getting the, the 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 audience, you know, riled up and excited, and the person who just stood up and did the big song, you know, sort of famous singer at the time, she turns to him and goes, tell him about the dream. You could hear in the recording, you know, this person off in the corner sort of tell him about the dream. And then he jumps into the I have a dream uh, sort of phrase, which he'd been telling in sort of sermons and speeches, you know, for a long time. So it didn't come out from nowhere, but he didn't plan to actually have it in that. And you can then, the whole mood of the audience shifted, At that point, especially as he rises up through those, you know, different levels is pretty amazing. Um, Anyway, it kind of shows that you sort of have to tell lots of speeches and have lots of stories because on the day you just don't know what's going to work. It comes back to this thing on the last episode of prediction. You don't know what story is going to win for you. So you got to have a whole bunch of them in your back pocket. So when one dies, you pull out the next one. And if that dies, you pull out the next one, you know, until you hit one. Well, up. I, I just, works. I,
0: the usual. just one more thing, because that just highlight, I don't know if you remember, years and years ago, you and I were sitting down at the bottom of the SMS building uh, at that little bar next door, and we were talking about what is the difference between a good consultant and a bad consultant. Uh-huh. Right? And we decided that it was a good consultant cares. Yeah. Right? They actually that care. Hmm. And, and uh, you know, this pattern has played out a few times that the people that care. So the, um, the reason I'm saying this is because Martin Luther King, right, he's improvising because he cares. Right? And it worked. Yeah. Right. So he's improvised from a place of credibility and authenticity and passion and belief and caring, and the other guy has improvised from the point, you know, from from a, a, a different place. Yeah. Not yeah. where he cares about his constituents, his customers. Right. He doesn't care about them, um, and so when he improvised, he makes a huge error.
1: Yeah. It's almost like you're. He doesn't um... care. You're revving up the speed and you're shooting it in the wrong direction, you know. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Ready guys, I think it's, aim. It's, this is a good time to wrap things up. Thanks again for listening to Anecdotally Speaking and tune in next week for another episode of How to Put Your Stories to Work. So bye for now.